We are good to go. We are recording. Yeah, we are. That's the best intro ever. Are we recording? Okay. I, th- I think we're recording. Yeah, I hope uh, we're recording uh, that. Uh, we are. All right, let's do a couple checks. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Through your headphones very well? Oh, yeah. This one especially. Yeah, I can hear you through my left one especially too. I don't know if that's normal or what, but we'll have to figure that out. So in when we're listening to this later, remember to check to see if it's normal that we're hearing each other better through our lefts. Note to self. Note to self. Hmm. All right, take it away, Mr. Goodman. All right, we're going to dive right in since we're a little behind schedule today. Um, so what I want to hear about from you is your first business you started. You started with a partner. Let's talk about how that went. All right, so do you want to talk about my first business I started or first my first business. law firm? Because I really want to talk about my first business. Well, let's I hear started. about your first business. Then I'll hear about your law firm. I, right. I have lots of questions about your first law firm. Well, my first business I started was selling uh, walnuts to neighbors. Uh, I had these little uh, How shirts, old were you? five or six. Okay. Um, I had these. My, my mom dressed me in these really dorky outfits, and they had a top left button, and it probably held five or six walnuts. And we had some trees behind our house that would drop them, and I would go out and I'd collect them, and I would go around to my neighbors' houses and try to sell them for a dollar a piece. I didn't really understand that the market value for walnuts was well below a dollar a piece at the time, but some of my neighbors were very. Um, Gracious and and gave me a dollar for uh, for some walnuts, but uh, that was the first business. My second business, which I can tell you about because the statute of limitations has run out, was sell was renting pirated DVDs to my friend or not DVDs. <laughs> wow, not even close to DVDs. Renting pirated VHSs. <laughs> uh, I was probably about eight or nine years old, and I would uh, I had the two VCRs hooked up at my house, and you could tape from one to the other. And uh, so we'd rent them, I'd tape them, and then I would rent them at discounted rates to, to my friends. I was, you know, convinced that I was going to take over. The, the, the original the red box right here, yeah, Robert there Engels. You go. Taking nice. it and, and rent. I think I was renting it for about a dollar a piece because the movie store was like three or four dollars a piece. Oh um, my God. So that was a pretty short-lived venture as well, but I did make a few bucks doing it. Well, you got out at the right time because obviously all those movie stores are went under at this point. Right. So. I, I knew well better. Played. I saw that it wasn't well a concept that was going to really go far. So All right. Let's delve into your first profitable business i guess we'll say a semi-profitable semi-profitable business I, I think that it was i think i came out ahead I, i'm not sure um you learned a lot though. oh absolutely i learned a ton i mean it's you know every uh i don't i don't know if i should call it a failure um but i, I mean i guess i look at it as a success so right out of law school i was terrified um did not you know i, I had been told that the job market was sparse didn't really understand what that meant until I got out there because, you know, the longest I'd ever been unemployed was a month or two. And most of that was because I just wanted to fish and party. And so I really wasn't looking for a job. Anytime I really wanted a job, jobs were available. Why are you shuffling keys in your pockets? That's showing up. I'm setting these over here. This is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Note to self, no things in your pockets. No things in your pockets. During podcast. Jingling. All right, continue. Um, So... I got out, couldn't find a job. I mean, just couldn't find a job. Tried in earnest, actually tried. Went on a number of interviews for non-legal jobs, could not find what one. What point were you like, maybe I'll start my own business? Um, it didn't happen right away. It, it took a, I had thought about it, but I didn't seriously, seriously think about it for a good nine or 10 months after I graduated. I had been doing document review. I went into document review about three months after I graduated, which was quite a bit later than most people. I think um, a lot of people went in much earlier than that. Oh, I was in 
right away. Bar done. Right. A week later, doctor. Right. Day. A lot of people went right in, and and I just uh, I was living a fantasy. Um, well, and you know, my my mom was helping support me as well. So you know, I was kind of rolling out of law school, and she was kind of helping put me up for a little while until I could find a job. But then you know, shit got kind of dire, and I jumped into doc review, and it is fucking soul crushing work. When <laughs> well, when you do it every day, and that's all your revenue, and you really don't have a a clearly defined goal that you're working toward. Your goal is to just click this mouse a number of times so you can get $25 an hour, um, which is usually the most money you've ever made in your life. Soul sucking. But it's soul sucking. Soul sucking. And then sometime around early July, uh, after the year after I graduated, I was chatting with uh, Stephen Corby, and he was telling me that him and Brendan Shea were considering starting a law firm. And I, you know, my first thought was, holy shit. Well, I really like Brendan Shea, and he's a smart kid, and don't read into that. <laughs> and Continue. And so I said, hey, well, what about you guys interested in maybe doing, you know, maybe doing three people? And and they were like, yeah, but perhaps. Like, we'll think about that. You know, we're looking at different office space. we got to see what we can make work. And they came back to me and they said, well, it's actually not going to work. We're going to go into this office space. It only has two offices, and it's really just not big enough for a third right now. And I said, oh, I understand. But it got the, you know, it kind of got the wheels turning. Um, I started kind of looking into the idea of doing it. So at that point, would you say you were on board with, you know, I think I'm going to start my own firm? Yeah, I, it started to become a very viable idea. Okay. Because what I was doing was not getting it done. And at that point, this is July, I started dating my wife. I would say um, maybe three or four months earlier. Um, I think we really started dating in earnest in April. So April, May, June, July. So about three months we'd been dating. But I could tell right away that this was a very important girl. And I wanted to keep her around. But she's also, she's a classy girl. And she's not the kind of girl who's going to sit around with a guy who sits around and clicks a mouse. You know, (laughs) It's not that she would look down upon it. But she's not the kind of girl that's going to stick out with someone who doesn't have career goals, who isn't making shit happen. And I knew that. So that was a really good moment in my life to have her come in because I really needed, um, she never said that. I could just tell. She made you yourself want to be a more... Just a better person. To quote Jack Nicholson uh, from uh, As Good As It Gets, she made me want to be a better man. So, uh, beautiful. So I decided, yeah. And at that point, I made I made the decision. Like, I really want to start doing something. I didn't. I I didn't have all the tools. I think I didn't actually go about it the right way. If I could go do it again, uh, I would absolutely do it differently. Um, There's a lot of things I would know. But then again, that's you know the Rod Stewart song. I wish that I knew now. Um, what I, you know, what I know now when I was younger, but you're just full of some beautiful lines. I really, Hey, everyone else's lines, man. I just take them, you know, repackage them, repurpose them, repurpose them. Mm. I'm gonna write a book with that shit. (laughs) Um, so from there it got the gears rolling. And then about a week later, I, I had been thinking a lot about it because when they said, Hey, maybe we could come in together. I started having all these thoughts like, Oh shit, you know, I could actually be a law firm owner. So I started thinking about it, but it seemed more of a future thing. I was like, I'm going to start looking into it. I don't know when I'll be able to do it. And then Stephen Corby came to me and he said, you know, that he had, uh, that Brendan Shea had come to him and got a job. He got a job with Bank of America and he was deciding not to move forward with the firm. And Stephen said he still wanted to and he asked me if I'd be interested in doing it. And I didn't give it a moment's thought. I just said yes. Um, You know, it was an opportunity that I wasn't going to let go by me. 
they had already started doing some research. They had already found office space. A lot of the things that were scary to me then, which is asinine to think that those were scary things at the time, but they were. They were. They seemed like really well, big struggles. Starting a business in general seems overwhelming. I mean, especially once you start looking on paper at what you need. Right. I mean, the idea of like, okay, well, I need a computer and a copier. I want a space to put those. Right. And I need a desk and I need some office chairs. And I could use some paper and some pens. Yeah, it's a hell of an investment. And, and I really didn't know where to start. So the fact that they kind of got the ball rolling for me was, it, it really helped me out. Uh, mentally, I suppose. So I jumped in with him. We put a little bit of money into the business, put kind of a game plan together. And looking back, we didn't really have a good business plan. Um, We didn't really put down on paper what our goals were, what we were trying to do, what our expectations for profit and loss were. Uh, But that was okay at the time because we just wanted to do something. I was still doing a little bit of doc review at the time, but I was ready to jump in the water and the water was cold. Um, it what was, kind of wait? What kind of law were you doing at this point? Well, the idea was to be a criminal defense attorney at the time. And, well, that's what I went to law <laughs> well, school that's thinking I wanted did. to do, as we all did. Yeah, I thought I was going to be you know a hotshot criminal defense attorney. Um, you know, getting standing up for justice. Um, <laughs> so that was my idea at the time. I started doing that. I was sending out some mailers, uh, trying to network with different attorneys, and I got myself on the criminal appointed list. And getting clients was so hard in the beginning. Um, most of our clients were coming from referrals from legal services, from Mecklenburg County Bar, from North Carolina Bar. Every now and again, we get a decent referral from a classmate or someone like that. But for the most part, we were getting just a lot of really, um, I, I don't know really how eloquently to say this, but shitty cases. Well, that's the hard part, too, with criminal law. I mean, it's it's such high volume, low income per case work. I yeah. mean, you're not getting $20,000 cases. You're getting $200 cases. You're like, oh, a $1,000 case. Yes. Right. That's huge. Big bucks right there. And then there. that money comes in and you're like, oh, wow, this is like the most money I've ever seen. And and then you don't realize just how fast it goes back out. And then your bar dues start showing up, you know, $250 to the MEC bar, $375 to the NC bar. And just there's so many expenses that they throw at attorneys. And we just, we were having a lot of trouble keeping up in those early days, but I I just kept showing up and grinding it out. And I kind of found a niche. Uh, One of the guys in the office was doing unemployment law and I was starving. I was barely getting by, barely getting my bills paid every month. And he said he had some extra cases and I started working some of those cases with him. It's really interesting area because I didn't know anything about it. And I had to go represent these people. And it, it, it was a good learning ground, though, I'll say, because... Learn on the go, man. Learn it, on the go. It really was baptism by fire. I just got thrown in. And I'd done trial practice at school, so I had an idea. And you just plop down in this room in front of, uh, I guess, a quote-unquote judge. They're an appeals referee, but they're essentially the judge of the case. And there's direct examination, cross-examination, closing arguments. And so it's it's like court, but a lot a lot more low stress. There's no audience, um, no one sitting there watching you, um, no judge in a robe making you feel like an idiot. And so I started doing those, and those were really one of the best things that could happen to my legal career. At that point, I found something. I started getting a lot of cases in it. I got kind of I got relatively good at it. And at that at, that was the point where I realized that my idea about where the practice should go and my partner's idea were that diverging. All right. So how, how long into the practice was this? 
I think I realized that, I think about five months in, I realized that I was... So this was pretty quick. Yeah, oh yeah, very, very fast. So I guess what... I think they say when you know, you know. How, okay, how long from beginning to end did this practice last? Uh, I think we filed our paperwork in late July, so let's call it August. So August, September, October, November, December, January, February. And I told him at the end of February. Um, so seven months from filing the paperwork to me telling him that I thought it was time to go. And then we officially dissolved at the end of March. So eight months, eight months. And I guess what do you think was kind of the demise of that business? I don't, I don't know that I don't want to call it like a demise of the business. We just had a different idea. We have our our personalities conflicted a little on what we considered the proper way to grow the business. Um, One of the problems I ran into, and I guess I can say it, um, I don't need to be PC because I don't think this is going to get heard. And if it does, we'll edit it. But one of the problems is is he was very drinks, drinks for uh, at all podcasts. Yeah, we do need drinks. Dry mouth right now. Yeah. And there's water in there if you want. Yeah, it's fine. Continue. Um, what, well, the, one of the big problems laziness. was he just wouldn't show up. There was a laziness issue, and he just didn't seem focused. Like, I really wanted to do things to grow the business and, and get our name out there. One of the things we discussed, we didn't have a business plan up front, but one of the things we discussed was getting out in the community and getting involved. And I was doing that. I was showing up. I was going to places. I was meeting people, and he wasn't going to any of it. Yeah. And and he just wasn't showing up. And I would say things and he's like, well, man, I'm busy. And he lived in South Carolina with his, uh, you know, fiance or what actually she was. She was just his girlfriend at the time. And he would make the art, you know, that he would always say, well, oh, I'm not I'm going to work from home today because, you know, it's such a long drive. I don't want to come in when I don't have any clients. And that really wasn't really working for me. Like, you got to show up. You got to be present. Um, to, to, you know, if you're going to generate a culture at work, you have to actually be there to generate it. And then he wasn't going to events because the whole point of going to those events is to get our name out there. And I'm just out there being, you know, the Ingles of Corby and Ingles. And that wasn't really working for me. And then he was, one of the things that really, the straw that broke the camel's back was he would nitpick me about expenses. Like I would be interested in an area of law and I would buy an $8 book you know, from the expense account and, and he would, you know, go line by line. With me. What's this $8? Well, and then like want me to take it out of like my pay. And I just realized right then this is never going to fucking work because <laughs> it's hard know, having a partner, man. It's well, it's hard. just, I I'm doing so I can understand if I'm out there just, you know, expensing like $300 lunches for, you know, big groups of people and just acting like a fucking idiot, but I'm buying an $8 book so I can increase our revenue. That $8 is going to come back to us because I'm gaining knowledge for me to bring us money because you get part of every dollar I earn. And and then again, early on in the practice, he... How, how did you set up your, uh, I guess, business structure around how you guys got paid? So what we were going to do is we were going to take 50-50 for the business. Okay. Um, so you got 50, 50 other 50 went to, went to the business. Right. Okay. I took 50% and then the business got 50%. And then whatever was in the business excess, we split. Okay. So basically he was getting like 20% of every dollar I made. Gotcha. I mean, right. 25. Yeah. Yeah. He would have been getting 25% of every dollar I made. Um, well, after expenses. Right. Yeah. Sure. And so then I guess like before we actually had like an operating agreement, he, I guess he thought up front. 
that he was doing better than me and he projected himself to do better than me so he re- approached me and said well maybe we should i talked to some other people maybe we should do like 80 percent, 20 percent because so you keep 80 then 20 goes into 20 the business? goes into the business <clears throat> would that even cover expenses for the business it barely did um well and really it was a it was a selfish decision on his part because he he had a thought and then he thought oh well, shit maybe this will work better for me and that's the last thing that you want when you're going into a business with someone, someone who's making decisions based solely on what's going to be financially viable for them and not what's better for, you know, them and the business and their partner. Um, and so that was concerning up front as well. And so that was it was just a lot of things together that I could see. It was early enough that no bad blood had actually happened, but I knew that if it went any farther, bad blood was coming. And I was honing an area of law that was starting to become profitable. And I wanted to get out before it really started to blossom. Gotcha. All right. So you cut ties, decide having a partner is not for me. So you started your own firm from there? Yeah. Well, and that was the idea. Once I made the decision to, uh, to go out on my own, I had kind of, I kept it very, very close to the vest because I didn't want word to get back to him. So I only told a couple of people. Um, and those were people that I, you know, I, I told them about because I was looking for office space. Like when I hit the eject button, I got to have somewhere to go because I can't just, I didn't want to split firms and stay in the same office. Um, yeah, no. it, it just wasn't going to work. And it's kind of like breaking up with a girl and trying to stay roommates with her. Like it's fucking ignorant. And so I, I had told a couple people, Jen Chandler was one of them, you know, to keep her eyes open for office space. And she called me sometime toward the end of February and said, hey, I, uh, we have an attorney in our office who's about to move out. Uh, it'll be a month from now. Are you interested in the space? And I said, uh, well, what's the address? And she gave it to me. And I drove right over. I was here in 15 minutes. And I came back here. I looked at it. His stuff was still in here, so it kind of gave me an idea what the space looked like set up. And I liked it. Um, nice open area. The rent was very manageable. Um, something I thought I could, you know, spring right out and start paying consistently. And I, I to be fair, I had made the decision before I walked out. I, I didn't actually make it make it, but I went home that night. I talked to a couple of people that, um, you know, that I that advised me and whose opinions I hold in high esteem. And then I, I, I spoke to Jenna about it. And by midnight, I had I had pulled the trigger. I mean, that is so clutch. I mean, having space that you can afford and just keeping overhead down. I mean, even now, I know we deal with that issue all the time of, you know, we our overhead is excessively high. Yeah, you guys and have nice office space. But still, it's like we pay way too much for this office space. Rather have less. That's going to sound good. <laughs> it did sound real good. <laughs> um, well, right, right, and I hear that. All right, so, so so you got in here. You're like, this is affordable. This is good. You have your office space. You okay? So you move in, start up practice. What's the difference between having a partner, starting a firm, and then going in alone? There's a, a bit of um, trepidation, kind of stepping out there by yourself. But what really helped is I'd done it once. You know, I'd done it once with a partner. I knew what the steps were. I had written them down the first time, thank God. Um, and I had a very good paralegal, or not paralegal, I had a very good intern at the time as well who really, like, sat down with me for hours at a time 
like mapping out our game plan like what are the things that we need to do and making checklists of those things and so that was very helpful and then um sorry i just kind of lost my train of thought no you're good oh oh, so yeah what i was saying is we kind of put our checklist together and i so i told you that i came over here saw the office space made the decision by midnight i had my uh paperwork signed and in the mail to the bar by the next day at five like with you know signing like trying to get my all my everything get everything together for the firm um so i came over here and then within 24 hours of her calling me and asking me to look at the office space i'd already sent off to get the paperwork started for my firm Um, and i think i told corby about a week later so so you were still you already closed down the business there, though. We no? had not. I told okay. when I told him we kept it together for another month, because you know there's some house cleaning wind that has to be it, done. Yeah. You know, I had to wind up my clients, um, the ones that wanted to come with me. Uh, we were able to close a lot of them down and really just end them. All right. So, where want to move to from here? So you had a partner, started your own firm. You've now had. Well, I guess on this discussion, four successful businesses now. Sure, sure. Two, well, I, no, two be, in adult life. Two, well, to be fair, I had several as a child as well. I had a very lucrative um, <laughs> grass mowing business. But um, at the same time, all of my businesses when I was young, uh, I didn't have to have any capital because um, the videotapes my parents were renting and they were just, you know, had extra videotapes laying around I could tape over. So there was no cost to me, just sweat equity of, you know, <laughs> pressing record and and then drumming up business on the street, you know. And then um, the mowing grass, though, that was a, a – t- my parents let me use their lawnmower, which was great. Um, so that cut a, a huge expense. So I just basically, you know – and they paid for the gas. So it was all money in my pocket, <laughs> all gravy. So having to pay expenses was a little different when I got out there on my own. So what was the thing – what do you think the key to your success was – Oh, you only have one key to my success? I mean, it, it can be multiple things. I mean, wh- what things do you think you've done? Persistence is the key. Um, if I had to say one, I mean, I think there's a, a million things that could go into what creates success. But I would say the thing that has kept me from sinking is just being persistent, getting up every day and choosing to go do the thing, even when shit gets tough. All right, so speaking of persistence, so how does that play into you had a partner, you looked at that at one day and were like, this is not what I want. I'm splitting and going a different direction. Sure. How does that persistence, I guess, play into that decision-making and kind of, I guess, that understanding of where you want to be? Uh, I, I mean, I think that that idea is very instrumental in making that decision because I had been working there. I got my uh, proverbial feet wet in the business. I saw that I could actually do it. And I realized where I was wasn't going to make me happy. I expected negative things to happen if I stayed in it too long. And so I I just took that attitude and I ran with it. And I jumped in over here and started my own solo firm with just me. And I mean, I had an intern working for me, but most part it was just me answering phones and conducting hearings and running to court. And uh, since then, I mean, I guess it's been two and a half, almost, it'll be three years in April that we've had our doors open here. And, you know, we've grown a lot since then. We have a lot of growing left to do. But we went from, uh, you know, just me sitting here at a desk um, trying to field these phone calls, which is the bane of my existence. Um, <laughs> I hate the phone. 
and because it just stops you from working. All it does, it serves one purpose to stop you from working. Yeah, having the phone ring, I believe the number of times where, because we have like our main office line, and then if our um, associate isn't answering the phone, like if she's doing work, I'd tell her just, you know, let it, right. let it, you know, let it, let it ring. I'm going to bring this up a little bit. Yeah, go for it. I'm going to do the same while I speak. Is this like, I, I can't tell if this is actually slowly, but it surely is. sliding down. It absolutely is. You got to get it real tight. But yeah, so. So that should be better. All right, go ahead. So our associate, so again, I tell you, you know, just let it ring through if you have stuff to do because, you know, I don't need it wasting your time. Sure. And, and we have an automated system, so it'll, you know, it'll come through to us if need be. Yeah. Whatever, that's good enough. Yeah, that should be good. Um, but there's nothing I hate. I sit there just in, like, anxiety when I hear the phone ring. Oh, I'm just it. like, oh man, please don't come to me. I hate it. Like I have stuff to do right now. I, I can't answer this phone call if it yeah, comes to that, me. That's really the main reason that I would never get rid of my paralegal. <laughs> um, a, I just, you know, you forget about all of the tasks that you would actually have to do if they weren't doing them. And then, cause when you see, cause sometimes you have that thought like, well, that would be a nice cost to cut. And, and then you look at some of the minutia that they're dealing with and you're like, Oh hell no. Um, I can't imagine having to spend an hour and a half on that. Like that would just destroy my days. I would work so much. My time is more valuable. Um, so, but the phone is really the big one that I would never, ever let her go because you know, when I'm in a workflow, I don't want to see emails. I don't want to see clients and I damn sure don't want to be on the phone. I need to work. And, uh, and so that's, if anyone is ever considering, hiring an employee to answer their phone do it whether it's a virtual <laughs> assistant or someone actually in your office absolutely hire that person at the very earliest opportunity that you can and still turn a profit good advice there for all the kitties out there yeah all right so we've gone through your businesses to kind of where you are now what drives you as a professional like on in your business side of life and i guess second part to that how has that changed from when you started to where you are now? Um, well, what, yeah, what drives me now and what drove me then are two very different things. Uh, what drove me when I first started out uh, starting the law firm was uh, very fuzzy. It was more just like success. I mean, and I, I say it like that because that's kind of, if I was to have to write what was driving me on a billboard at that time, it would be like, success with like, Just like a question oh, I'm, mark. I'm supposed to have a job and yeah, I got like, one. So I'm going to keep doing it. I went to law school. It. I'm supposed to get a job and make money. So that's what I'm going to do. So it was really, really very fuzzy as to why I was doing what I was and doing. And what now? What and, drives you now? Well, what drives me now is the, to, the chase. The, the chase of, it, it's almost hard to put into words. It's, it's a feeling. The, the chasing I feel like it's my goals. Uh, I feel like it's a. Uh, I don't know why. I've always like come up with a better way to say that. I've always likened starting a business to playing like a role playing game, like an RPG on like a video, like anything. Like, yeah, you got to go through the steps. And it's like, oh yeah, I, I got to build up my character. I've got to get yeah. you know. I've got to get these. I've got to meet these accomplishments. That's a really good. So way I can of step to the it. next level. And so it's just a constant, like you know. Again, if I'm building an army to defend my fort, I've got to. I've got to get the best army I can get. I want my defense up high. 
And once I get to that level, then I can start working on these other things. Right, right, right. And so I always looked at you get the magic box in the corner, you know. Yeah, exactly. I'm just I'm just building all that shit around me, so I can be like, all right, we're ready to go now. Look yeah. at this. Look at all this stuff I'm accumulating. And I guess all we're the powerful. Books, I guess all the books and resources are kind of like the cheat guides. Exactly. You're yeah. just getting all this stuff to build that game up, so I can go kick some ass. Yeah, and that's a really interesting way of looking at it. So let's uh let's go save the princess. That was my earliest real video <laughs> game that I played. <laughs> Got to go save the princess. Um, so yeah, what what drives me now is a very distinct thing. I have a number of objectives that when when shit gets really hard and I really don't feel like taking the next step and doing the next thing, uh, a couple of things I keep in mind. Um, one of them has been a big one over the past few months has been my wife. Um, I mean, she is just a wonderful person. I couldn't be luckier to have her in my life um, and. I really want to bring her and us the type of life that that we deserve. Um, we have ideas that we want to accomplish. We want to be able to travel the world while we're young enough to enjoy it. Like we don't want to take a week here and a week there. We want to travel. Oh, we I want to take that. a month. You know, we want to go do the <laughs> things that we want to do now. Before Jory got pregnant, we were definitely looking. I was like, look, we should just like move to like thailand and just go travel around for like a year yeah and just see where we land right now a year is not feasible for us but i mean not really we're, but we're <laughs> trying to all. make a plan where a month might be feasible in the next two years oh see I, I i was like we'll sell our house we'll sell our cars right we're just gonna go right and we'll see what happens you know and and there's a lot of people who still do that with children um i, I think they wait till their children can walk <laughs> but but they do i mean I, I read a book about a mother of three who traveled europe with her three children her her husband and her three children and they just traveled europe and they were terrified when they first took off but by the time they got back they had a system like it was boom 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 and they had it covered and and so it's very doable oh it's definitely oh i did a lot of research i was looking at like what countries were like what countries can you go to where can you get visas right. i had this whole system in place of how you can actually stay in europe indefinitely as an american based on the because you can only spend 90 days in the EU or any individual non-EU country based on your visa as, nice. a, as, a, as a U.S. citizen. I didn't know it was that short. Yeah, so you, you can't actually stay longer than that with just your passport. Right. But... Which that's really, that's going to be long enough for me for any period of time right now. But again, the way it's set up, okay, so if you go to any non-EU country, all you have to do is be 72 hours, I believe, I remember correctly, it's been a while since I've looked at it, 72 hours out of the EU before you can come back in for another 90 days yeah how about that that seems like a broken system so will england switzerland um basically all of eastern europe donald, not part of the eu donald trump would not approve of that system yeah so you can just hop country to country very nice like pretty much indefinitely yeah, that sounds like a lovely idea, but that's on our list. Um, one of the things we want to do is uh, we would like to go spend a month in Italy in the next couple of years. And so I'm learning Spanish right now. I am 2% proficient, according to my app. And from there, the next language well is Italian. Oh. So so that, that'll that put us in that position. Well, the goal is to be conversational in Spanish well um, in six months and be fluent in a year. Um, and I think it's very attainable based on the progress I'm making. I have a really cool app um, I highly recommend. It's called Duolingo. And you can spend about 15, 20 minutes a day tops and, and really achieve a lot in that short period of time. And there's so. many, many languages that you can use on it. Um, I don't know if there's a paid service. I use a free version of it, and it's been phenomenal. 
Um, I'm really learning at a very fast rate. Um, I really enjoy um, talking to Jenna in Spanish because she does not understand any of it. I like to say things like, la niña no bebe leche. <laughs> And, uh, and and she's maybe she, doesn't like milk, right? No, the the girl, the, the girl. girl does not drink milk, and well, and because she's been trying to get pregnant and she's not allowed to have any dairy right now, so I like to say things that are very applicable to her life. But I've only learned a handful of you know phrases at this point, so I have to keep them very narrowly tailored. That's funny. That kind of leads that segues into my uh, next, I guess, area of question. Take me there, we'll Josh. Take me there. Right, we're, we're, we're have to deal with what I like to call the personal shit. Personal shit. Oh, this is where it gets real. This gets real. Ingles, I mean, I've known you for a, a significant amount of time at this point. Shit, like seven years. I don't think we've really known each other but a couple years, though. But I, we've had some conversations throughout that time that have been uh, interesting, sure. to say the least. Yeah, I will talk. All right, so let's... Having, hearing you speak about speaking Spanish to Jenna about random shit that she does not know what you're saying... Sure leads me into a question that really kind of is there anything you will not try once probably um you know i I hate to say that because it sounds like a terrible answer for someone like me to give um but probably there's there are things at this point i don't know that i would try um is there anything you can think of on at hand right now that you're like i wouldn't try that um i I don't think i'm gonna have sex with a guy at this point Mm. you know I uh, I think I'm just um, I'm a grown ass man. I'm married to a woman. <laughs> uh, I've never really been attracted to men. So I think if someone was like, "Come on, don't you want to try it once?" I think I can, with a reasonable degree of certainty, say, "I'm really not interested." What if Jenna was into it? Yeah, ain't nobody fucking my wife. No, 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 into you with another man. Oh yeah, I I I would try to look for alternate things that made her horny. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We'd have to shop around. I mean, don't get me wrong. If she was like, look, I really fucking need this. Eh, you know, I don't know. That's, that's, that's a different story because I would do pretty much anything for that woman. Thankfully, that is never going to happen. Um, I am far more adventurous than her. So um, I, I can say... Oh, I don't doubt that at all. I can say with a reasonable degree of certainty that she's never going to approach me and say, I would like to see someone bend you over a table. Um, well, I, I mean, I never said that you were necessarily taking in this situation. Well, what is, oh, I'm the giver? Possibly. Uh, I, would, I mean, well, I would I have assumed. That, I guess being the giver is probably better than being the taker. Um, but at the same time, I, that's fucking all the hair and the balls. and I don't think so, man. I feel like there, there would be options. Would it have to be a hairy person? I guess not, but there's still the balls. And, and I think that really the facial hair on dudes is really the biggest thing for me where I'm like, oh, fuck this. Because like the thought, because I remember I, I hooked up with this girl in college. I'm glad no one's ever going to hear this. Um, I hooked up with this girl in college, and she was. Uh, this should be our first podcast. Yeah, it really there. should. People will come back. I hooked up with this girl in college, and she was Indian, um, red dot, not a feather. And she she had these little sideburns, and they were kind of cute. Like you know what I'm talking. Oh, about. I know exactly what you're talking. They about. were like kind of cute. They kind of came a little farther down her face than you know most girls' hair on the side of their head comes, but it wasn't bad. Yeah, but it's not like thick. It's, it wasn't, no, and it, she was very well manicured. But um, we hooked up, and when we were kissing, like I could feel just the tiniest hint of stubble on her lip, and you could tell that she took care of it. And it was just, you know, it was just starting to come back. Like you couldn't see it. But you could feel it, and it was just a really, really big turnoff. 
for me. And uh, I think that's... Burner killer, huh? Yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't like it. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so now, like, I, I really like just... Because the thing is, as a guy, I have really never been shaved so well that I don't have some stubble somewhere. You know, there's always a little bit somewhere. And so I know that that's in the past. True I have not shaved people. in probably five years. Maybe yeah, more. it's been quite a while since I, I've I, I've seen your face. Yeah, I've, I've not taken a razor to my face. Yeah, and I've been I've been going about a couple times a week now. I don't know what that's like anymore. Well, I didn't I didn't shave very much for a long time either because I had really shitty blades that I bought like a discount and then I like felt committed. <laughs> I felt committed to them because I had bought them. That's some that's some deep commitment right oh, there. Some bullshit is what it was. <laughs> it was like one of the worst things I ever did because when I did shave, which was like every few months, it was just brutal. It was like ripping the hair out of my face with this thing. I might as well just tweezed my hairs. Um, so now that I'm, uh, I'm with dollarshaveclub.com, mm. um, which I actually am sponsor. I'm, I'm not getting uh, paid to say that I'm actually with dollarshaveclub.com yet. 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 Um, but I pay for the $6 razor at $6 every month. And actually I've moved to every other month because they, um, oddly enough, they, they will send you an email after a couple months and say, Hey, are you getting too many razors? Do you want to go to once every other month? Which at first I was like, that doesn't sound like a very good business idea, but <laughs> I think it is now that I think about it because I was just about to cancel. I was going to cancel it and then come back when I ran out. And I think the logic that they probably figured out was once they cancel, they're going to run out and realize they don't have any more and go to the store and buy them because they're going to need them right then. And so if we just send them an e- like because they they know most people don't need. Are you four sure blades. you don't work for DollarShaveClub.com? I don't. Um, I should apparently um, no because but they I, I don't know how they know but they know but I guess most people do not need four blades per month and so I wasn't I was stocking up I had so many extra blades that I was about to just turn off the service and come back in a couple months and they sh- sent me an email that was like hey hit this button and we'll change it every other month then I hit the button and I was like holy shit that's a phenomenal idea and then after thinking about it I'm like of course they're brilliant they're dollarshaveclub.com I mean, that first commercial they came out with, remember that one? I do. That shit was brilliant, man. I remember, like, everyone was sharing it on Facebook. They made a viral video of their very first commercial that basically was free advertisement after putting together the video, which, you know, it looked like there was some production cost in it. But at the same time, I mean, they, what a it's a great product, and their marketing is fucking genius. So, yeah, dollarshaveclub.com. I use the $6 razor. I think the executive's a $9 razor. I have not tried that when I hear it's very good. Well, we know how we're going to be doing ads on this show whenever we get some. Yeah. Just like that. Just like that. Great That's dollarshaveclub.com. <laughs> um, all right, this how is where are I you? <laughs> I feel like every episode's going to have to have the Bill Burr. It's- how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I think it should. We have our guest Bill Burr on today. Oh, dear Lord. I would love to have Bill Burr on my podcast. <laughs> I, I, it would just be me laughing the whole time. Oh, it'd, be, it'd be silly shit is what it would be. All right, I have to get this last question before I have to roll and get a Oh, is it time to go, man? God, talking to Josh Goodman, time goes fast. All right. Man, it's been so, like 50 minutes. Before, before we even started on go this ahead. episode, you were talking about your poor game as a youth. As a ute. As a ute. That, oddly enough. A couple of utes. I, would like, I just want to show you this. Look at the bottom line right there. Hold on. Let me look. Let me look. Poor game coming up as a ute. I love it. A couple of utes. Uh, so as, as, a, as a ute. Sure. I've heard you had poor game. English. I believe that's because I told you. 
That's true. Yeah. I heard it was a reliable source. It was a reliable source. Do you care to delve into it? Because I feel like we, could look, you used like we could look at a rule of evidence that would make that hearsay. If it was hearsay, if I wasn't here, it would also make it because it was a statement against interest. All right. That's a party admission right there. Absolutely. <laughs> a party admission. Um, uh, yeah. So I, growing up, I was a very timid child. Um, super, super mama's boy. I mean, really, really short, really skinny. I can see that. Tiniest kid in the class for years. I mean, really small kid. And I uh, just... When I first went to kindergarten, I was really excited about going. But once I got there, I was like, I would like to go home. Um, this doesn't <laughs> jive with what I thought it was going to be at all. And I, I didn't speak to – I don't remember – I mean, I remember kindergarten, but I don't remember all of the details. But yeah. um, my mother tells me I didn't actually speak to my kindergarten teacher until after the Christmas break. So apparently I was just terrified. I remember being terrified of her, but I didn't remember that I didn't speak to her at all. But I was, you know, I was a pretty scared kid. And that that was kind of a theme of my childhood for a long time. Just really small, really timid. Um, in fourth grade, I uh, I tell the story a lot, but in fourth grade, I had a book report I had to give, and I'd read the book. Um, I don't remember exactly what the book was right this second, but I had read the book, and we were charged with giving an oral book report. I I just want to point out that I love the fact that talking about your poor game is starting in kindergarten. Yeah. FYI. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, I think that's where it actually starts. And and uh, I, I was too afraid to get in front of the the class and give the book report. I mean, I'd read the book. I could talk to my mom for an hour about it, um, and I did frequently. And and but I was too afraid to stand in front of my peers and give the book report. So I got a zero on it. Um, and and so that it it really started there. And I just, I was never, once I got to the opposite sex, I was never comfortable when I finally did start growing. It all happened very quickly. And so I got like all like big and I didn't know how to walk and my feet are big and, and I'm wearing like, I don't know what clothes I'm supposed to wear because I don't have a really good role model to like take me shopping. And thankfully I met a good friend who helped me out a lot. Um, and, but I was just super goofy and nervous and awkward. Um, looking back, I mean, I was better with the opposite sex than a lot of my peers. Um, but I guess I always, my problem was I always measured myself against the guys who were the best. So, you know, I was looking at, you know, the most popular guy in school and the girls he was hanging out with. And I would look at my station and judge myself against where he was. And I always felt like I was failing, um, which, I mean, it's a terrible, but I, you know, it all starts. I'm failing, I'm failing in yeah. this, in no, life. It, it's, that, it's that mindset from the book, mindset. It's that fixed mindset. And I was gauging myself against other people's successes because those were the girls I wanted and I wasn't getting them. And, I mean, it's a really silly way to do because I look back at some of the girls I was dating and there were some very cute girls, some very nice girls. I'm still friends with some of them. Um, but I just, uh, so I guess I felt like I was failing a lot more than I was. And then through college, it was, it was always a struggle. I was just always a little nervous, never very smooth with the ladies. Um, but never terrible. I mean, I was never the guy who was just, you know, never getting girls. I mean, I, you know, again, I don't ever want my wife to hear this, but I did very well for myself. Um, for my station in life, but it was I, again. It was always judging myself. Like no matter how hot the girl I was hooking up with, which, which shouldn't be the way you think about things, but it's how I did. Um, Man, there was always penises. girls. There was always girls that were hotter that I wasn't hooking up with, and and so it always felt like I was failing because I wasn't getting them. And so, but I took it very seriously, and so I decided that I would devise a plan. And I figured out, um, you know, I said, hey, we learn how to do everything else in life. Why can't we learn how to do this? 
And and so I did. I set to doing it. I love that you devised a plan. I did. I created a goal, which is what I'm doing right, right now with my life. How old were you at this point? I think when I first really started looking into it, I was in my late 20s. Okay. Um, but, I, but it was really casual um, at that time. And I'll tell you, when I, when I, when I really... A casual plan? Yeah. When I really, really started executing on it was after um, I broke up. Sasha and I broke up. You, um, how long were you single after you and Sasha broke up? Yeah, I think that's a testament to how good I got. Is that it? Is that what that is? Absolutely. Was it, was it, was it, do we count this in hours? Were there oh, days no, 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 involved? No, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. I think she moved out, um, end of October. I mean, I, I, I knew you at this point. I'm, yeah, I'm well aware of this. Absolutely. She moved out end of October and I think I met Jenna on, uh, February 1st. Actually, I know I met her on February 1st, but so it had been, she, she had moved out, I guess, uh, what? three months in a week, something like that. Um, she'd been out of the house and so it was very fast. Um, I mean, I was dating a couple of the girls when I met Jenna, but it was, it, it really was like, I, I threw myself into it. I decided, you know, here's the, my shortcomings. We talked earlier about, you know, when everything is always your fault and anytime that a girl would shut me down, I would instantly sit back and analyze what happened. What did I say? Where did it happen? Where did I see the disconnect happen? And a lot of times I could trace it back to a moment that I could have said something differently because every girl's different. Every girl is going to respond differently to different things. And you have to learn how to do that. And I, I write a lot of my success with Jenna off to really throwing myself wholeheartedly into that mindset. Because Jenna, I mean, you've met her. I don't. I, I, I haven't really paid attention to your interactions with her, but she is not the easiest girl to get comfy with. I mean, she's she's you know she's a sweet fucking woman. I mean, she's the most empathetic lady I know. I fucking adore her, but she certainly has a certain edge to her that kind of says I'm not to be fucked with. And and she's <laughs> super fucking hot. Like I mean, I remember the first time I saw her, I was just like, holy shit. And I'd always wanted that. I'd always wanted the woman that I ended up marrying for my first thought to be, holy fucking shit, this woman is hot. And I remember looking at her and being like, holy shit, that girl is hot. I'm going to go talk to her. And mind you, I was with another woman at the bar at the time. I'm still picturing this right now, RPG style. You would just leveled out all your stats. Just like, boom, I'm coming here and destroying. Hells yeah. That. Want that. Hells yeah. Got it. And, uh, and so, yeah, we met when I on a date a few weeks later. Um, I trimmed out, I trimmed out the rest of the hose, um, cut them all out. And, uh, and yeah, so that was, it was one of those things that like everything else in life, you have to figure out what's important and then you have to create a goal and you have to devise a plan to get to that goal. So basically the way I got my wife is the way that you can get anything you want. Well said. Boom. Can we get a billboard and this? Up? That is some actionable advice right there. So good night. <laughs> We need to come up with a sign-off as well. We definitely do. All right. That was good. And it was about, uh, what are we at right now? 46 minutes. Oh, yeah. How are you? <laughs>